This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hello everyone, welcome to Hugh at Home, I'm Tracy Koga. We have a very special story today, a story about cultural differences and how one woman has found community, family and love right here in Winnipeg. Please welcome to Hugh at Home, Hijab Mitra. Our city is full of incredible gems and I am so honored and proud to, well, unveil a beautiful gem in our city and her name happens to be Hijab Mitra. And welcome, Hijab, to Hugh at Home. And I really truly say this, in all, honesty, in all honesty, a gem. Because for me, when I think of a gem, sometimes it starts off really raw and you have to keep on polishing it and polishing it and polishing it. And then all of a sudden, the beauty is there for all of us to enjoy. And I really wanted to have you on Hugh at Home to share your story because your story is a gem and what you, have achieved, what you have achieved. So the stage is yours, yours Hijab, to share. Let's start with your story, your home, and then your eventual journey here to Winnipeg. Sounds good. Thank you, Tracy, for having me. I, I'm uh, honored. Uh, I don't know if I'm a real gem, but uh, I will give you my story. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, um, it's been an exciting one. So let me start from when I was really young. Um, I was, um, my, my parents are, my mom's from Sri Lanka, my dad's from East India. We come from a very orthodox community and I belong to a Muslim background. And, uh, but the strangest part was my parents believed that the Catholic education was the best. So I actually studied in a convent for 12 years under the mm-hmm. sisters. And so I went to church every single day for 12 years and uh, probably know the Bible inside out because that's what I did. And so religion was not the most important part, but learning from other people's culture, knowing what the world is all around. Although we came from a very strict upbringing, we come from a very fortunate family. So education was very revered. And, um, but in, because I have three other siblings, they all born and Sri Lankan citizens, but I was born in India. So, um, And it was strange because I never lived in India because my mom is from Sri Lanka. So I went back and I'm guessing, you know, she was pregnant when she was traveling and had me in India. But but as a small child, I think because I had everything and poverty is such a prominent thing in those countries, I started speaking up. And I was the first grandchild, a girl grandchild after 17 grandsons. So, I mean, the family was very happy to have me, especially my grandparents, because mm-hmm. they were only boys in our family forever. And so I was raised to speak my mind and stand up against these boys and be one of them. And 
you know, but I think very soon I took that for granted. And so I became, the one thing that my grandparents and parents taught me was speak your mind. Like they never, they allowed us to speak how we felt and what we did in a respectful way, of course. And I think that carried through who I actually became. So at a very young age, I started revolting against my own parents saying, oh, you know, I don't want to live in this home anymore. I don't want to do this. I need to understand what poverty is all about. I want to be a social worker. So very young and in India, you know, during my summer breaks, my parents would put me into these hospital settings where I could actually go and work for people and do things that were voluntarily. And my grandparents were had philanthropy built in them. But I used to question if it is real philanthropy or is this a show to the community? And they never liked that. And But they were very respectful to give me the answers. And when I was about 14 is when my grandfather said, okay, hijab, enough is enough. You know, you really need to understand what poverty is all about. So we're going to put you into the Mother Teresa camp. So in the next few summers, that's what you're going to do. You're going to work with leprosy kids. And so I was moved to Calcutta during my summer holidays. I actually worked with Mother Teresa hand in hand, and we would look after these kids. But I actually enjoyed that. And I think that scared my family a little bit like where is she going and what is she doing and you know and so they actually uprooted me and sent me to England they said you know this is not working out this kid is just <laughs> not you know doing anything right so but I always wanted to be a doctor always I liked working with people I felt that caring for people was good my my parents actually owned private hospitals and I thought we could you know look after people and do things a different way but I also had a little rebel in me. So I would do anything my parents didn't want me to do. And because I'm from an Orthodox community, I decided to participate at a young age in Miss India contest. And um, those days uh, in the Miss India contest, the top 10 go on a bikini round on national TV. Mm -hmm. And that was forbidden in my family that you can't do that. So when they realized <laughs> I was going into that, they actually, my, my, my parents actually Flew to Mumbai, took me and took me back home and said, no, hijab, you can't do this. You can't put our family to shame. And so it was interesting. Every time it came to a girl child, it was a shame to the family. Like whatever I did, if I spoke up like, oh, you can't do this or you can't speak your mind. It's disrespectful. Someone will say something. But I also, put, you know, if I have to put my community in perspective to the Canadian community, I would say I'm like the 1800 Mennonite community. Like I, I feel like that's how... <laughs> You know, as much as we were forward in every single way, when it came to a girl child, it would be like, oh, you can't embarrass us, you can't do this. And I think at a young age, I realized that I don't want to be that person. Although I have everything with me, I still don't have the right to do. I never left the house after six o'clock. I've never had a sleepover. I've never had a play date in a friend's home. But I didn't know any different. Mm -hmm. So that was the interesting part until I was 22. Like, I didn't know that kids wow. do that. So that's how strict I was raised. Um, we would never eat after sunset, never go out after sunset. But my childhood was an amazing childhood. I had everything I needed. I just didn't know any different. And so when I went to England, I still was studying under the nuns and I was studying in um, 
a residential school, which I mean, in Canada, the context is, I mean, a boarding school. Like mm -hmm. it's not, it's not what residential schools mean here. And it was an amazing upbringing, but my parents would call morning and evening to make sure I'm in there. Like there was no freedom whatsoever. And I realized that there was no freedom only when I was 22. And it was interesting that they, the only thing they wanted from us was always stand first in class, never drink alcohol and never fall in love. As long as you did these three things, they would pay for all your education. So it was very interesting how we were raised. And I never felt that I didn't have anything. I just felt that I needed a voice and I needed to make that change. And my parents can't, my mom's a very, very smart person, very educated, very talented. And I felt she was in that burden of trying to convince the community that she still belongs there. Although I can, now when I look back, she will never admit this, but I think she would like to be in my shoes just doing what I do, but she will never admit it because you know, mothers are always right. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, but, yeah, so, you know, and I, yeah, and then going through school, I decided that if I needed my parents to pay for things, I have to follow the rules and learn very quickly that uh, if you make choices that you choose, that the family doesn't talk to you anymore. So I went from med school to architecture and that was looked as a failure from my parents' side. Although I was the top-ranked student throughout, my parents thought that was a huge failure. And now I get it, what they mean by how hard they worked to pay for my education and how I just left it behind. You know, I truly, they paid for everything when I was studying. So, but they didn't understand why I wanted to make the change. And I think every East Indian parent's dream is to become a doctor, a lawyer, or an engineer. And if you don't do any of those three things, you're a failure. So, and it's interesting that you're raised with that mindset. And, but India is a country of 1 billion people and it's very competitive. And not everybody gets an opportunity to do that, but everybody else is looked as a failure. So when I changed to architecture, I think my parents thought that, you know, she does not understand the value. She is just going and doing her thing because, you know, we're paying for it. But they didn't take the time to understand why I made that shift. And even to date, they have never taken the time to make, understand why I make that shift. And so they did allow me to go through architecture school. And I graduated with a master's in zero energy buildings. And I actually started my PhD in Cambridge on how architecture can cure human beings. And that's when I decided to marry a man of my choice. And my parents actually withdrew the funding. And I just felt at that point, I couldn't continue the education in that. So I quit my PhD and um, moved to Winnipeg to marry a man of my choice. Oh my goodness. I, so I, I, I have so many questions. And, but my first and foremost one, I guess, is what was life like at 22, hijab, when you realized everything that you that existed outside of your little bubble? You know, it's interesting. I still didn't revolt it because I appreciated who my parents were, grandparents were. And I think it was a little too late to make changes in my life because 
what I was seeing is kids in school working to pay their fees, kids in school not having families with them, um, kids in school coming from broken families. And I, I, I was not exposed to that at all. There has been not one divorce in our family. I'm not saying that everyone's happy, but there's never been a divorce in the family. And I don't know how they keep it together, but they do. <laughs> so it's, it's an interesting upbringing that I had. And when I see in the Western world of things that they didn't have their parents to talk to every day, they thought it was strange that I would speak to my grandparents. To an extent, my grandmother used to bake chocolate cake and send it to me through a pilot to deliver it to me in school, which was, you know, I used to laugh those days and, you know, kids in the university used to laugh saying, oh, have your grandmother sent you chocolate cake? To an extent where it was more expensive to actually pick up the chocolate cake than to buy the chocolate cake because she would send it to London and I studied in Nottingham. So I had to bribe some students from London to pick it up and just eat it because she would keep doing this every week and she knew the pilots from Sri Lankan Airlines. My, my uncle was a pilot too and she would send it through them. And so it was very interesting that they showed love in such a different way that was not, you know, what was normal in the other side and so I actually appreciated them doing that for me but not in the moment I would think it was an embarrassment I'm like oh god my grandmother sent another thing right now I have to go pick it up so um, but I, I never revolted that I never revolted drinking I you know mm -hmm. I mean I would cheat from time to time have a sip with my friends or, but it was not something that I felt oh because they didn't give it to me I have to do it I think mm -hmm. I was I'd gone past, but it used to make me wonder like how much they controlled who I was, mm -hmm. you know, and who I become. Well, and I think you've made though the transition so well, because like you said, you could have revolted. You could have like, you know, excommunicated your family forever, right? Uh, there's so many different ways this story could have unfolded, but um, the beauty is, is that the story continues to blossom. Uh, we're going to take a short break, but Hijab, when we come back, I want to talk about um, your impression of Winnipeg <laughs> the first time. Um, this is like, folks, a story of, okay, nah, go away, nah, go away, oh, okay, all right, okay, I'm here. Um, but then, and then, you know, being your own boss and, and founding your own business, and more importantly, the philosophies now that you do, along with your husband, with your own children you know, coming from different backgrounds and, and how it all melts together. So when we come back, we'll have more from Hijab Mitra. Um, the story will continue. And in the break, though, I will have a beautiful sit-down chat with one of the lovely ladies at this year's Winnipeg Women's Conference that was just a, a resounding success. So don't go away. There's still more to come on Hue at Home. So the Hive is a climbing and fitness facility, so we're bouldering only, which means no ropes or harnesses. We use mats for protection. The four pillars of our business are climbing, education, health and wellness, and community, and those aspects all kind of come together to create like a five-star climbing experience. Hey, 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. That's your baby. It uh, is. How has it, I guess, grown or changed over the past two years being yeah. in this pandemic and lockdowns? I think a lot of businesses had to shift to having an online presence and operating more online. I know for us, or for me personally, I found a lot of people thinking, Charmaine, we need to build up our social media, our online presence, and we need your assistance. So personally, I saw a big spike in my business kind of as a result. Okay, so I'm going to um, ask you a question now. Mm. Women versus men. And it might be a two-parter. <laughs> yeah. How many men ask for social media help in what you do mm -hmm. and how, versus how many women? You know what? It's definitely more women, but my business is designed to attract women. I love working with women. I love supporting women. I'm a woman myself, of course, so um, that's who I try to attract. I do get some male potential clients reaching out to me. Um, I would say one or two every six months or so. <laughs> I've worked with some men in the past, but I definitely love working with women. Oh, I know. I know. Yeah. You're, you're very pro-women. Yeah. And do you think uh, perhaps that maybe... Um, women have more an affinity for social media as opposed to men? I think so. I think women are more social just generally, and I think that translates to online as well, right? Women are often seeking out connection, whether it's professional or personal, and I think they do that a lot more than men do. Okay, so in your expertise, what are some of the things that women, especially women in business, need to know? And I guess that's your, probably your number one question. <laughs> Absolutely, and it's so many different things. But I think one thing is to really put yourselves out there. I think a lot of women, especially women in business, when it comes to the social media, they're hyper-focused on their services and their product. But people just want to see you. They want to get to know you. And the more you let your personality shine through, the more it's going to help you build your online presence and help you grow your business online. Do you ever get tired of it? It is like constant charming. I, you know what? I don't get tired of social media as a whole. Sometimes I'll get tired of maybe certain platforms or certain features or certain types of content, but I always love social media and I like being able to be a content creator and show not just my business, but myself online. Oh, and that is the beauty. And I love hustle and charm. And this is kind of, I, I really believe, your philanthropic side, but really I think it's a passion of yours. It is. Again, women in business, helping them succeed, helping them get to their next level, um, whether they want to be someone who owns like a, you know, 10 business empire or they want to have a small business, I want to just be there to support women, whether it's with marketing services or with a community that will help them get the skills and the confidence they need to excel in their, in their career path. Okay, so we talked about all the wonderful things of social media. There is a downside. There is, of course, and again, there's, there's so much online, and sometimes it's hard to filter out the things that don't bring you joy, 
right? There's a lot of content on there that is negative or triggering depending on what your personal experiences have been. And it can be hard to turn off that noise while still keeping the positive. So I think there are definitely pros and cons to having an online presence and being on social media. Okay, and so your, I guess, duty or role here is a panelist. And what's really interesting are the topics, I think, and one in particular, and it is talking about women of color. Mm -hmm. And of course, that has been huge now. Yeah. Uh, in your opinion, have we come a long way? Um, we've come some way for sure. <laughs> and like you said, it's huge now, but it should have been huge this whole time. You know what I mean? And I feel that I'm happy and fortunate that we're having these conversations now. Mm -hmm. And you know, now is better than never, but I think we do still have a long way to go. And I'm happy to continue being part of those conversations. What do you see uh, happening in the next little while in regards to getting more people of color in general in positions where they should be. Yeah, for sure. I think it's just a matter of, you know, having a community aspect that is inclusive of women of color, right? I think there's a difference between having a diverse community and an inclusive one, right? Because you can be in a room with women of all different colors but not feel like you belong and feel like you're understood. And I think once we figure out what that difference is and how to be more inclusive, it's going to open more doors for not just women of color but women in general. Oh, indeed, right? We need to get more girl power exactly. <laughs> going. And being in Winnipeg, you know, being an entrepreneur, being a businesswoman, yeah. uh, easier or more difficult? I think it's been, it's been great. I, I'm from Winnipeg, but I lived in Alberta for a very short time working as an event planner. And when I came back to Winnipeg, I was excited because I knew that Winnipeg was a place where I did feel generally speaking, a sense of community. I knew that I had people here I could talk to. I knew it would be easy to meet people who have similar goals as me. And I feel like, for the most part, a lot of Winnipeggers are willing to help one another. I just want to open people's minds to different perspectives. Like you said, as a woman of color, um, my experience in business can be very different than someone who doesn't resonate um, with that, right? So I just want to kind of open people's eyes a little bit and share some of my story and hope that it resonates with people, inspires people, motivates people, and helps them have a good takeaway from this event. back to Hugh at home. Once again, we're talking to Hijab Mitra. And while she just shared her childhood story and growing up and going to school, we are now going to travel all the way to Winnipeg. So you have traveled, you've been to university in England, and you land in Winnipeg? 
<laughs> How did that happen? So I married a man from Winnipeg, and I think that's the only way people would move to Winnipeg. I don't know that if there's any other reason why people would move to Winnipeg, but um, yes. Yeah, so I um, had met Cheyenne in my undergraduate days, and he had come to University of Manitoba. He had family here in Winnipeg, and um, um, we had met early on in our, you know, school age um, undergraduate university and then he was always on my mind and I had an opportunity to come here to do some work and um, reconnected with him married him and now we have three beautiful kids and now we're not moving out of Winnipeg. Oh so. really? Uh, and so what was the whole experience coming to Winnipeg at first? You know it was probably one of the hardest things I've done because my parents were totally against me marrying Cheyenne and so I actually eloped um, and my parents didn't, my family didn't speak to me for seven years after I married him. So I actually had no contact with my family whatsoever. And someone who was used to talk to them every day and no contact whatsoever for seven years, it was very hard. And then coming to Winnipeg was harder because although our number plates say friendly Manitobans, I don't think Winnipegers are very welcome to people who come from outside. They're very friendly up front, but they don't become your friends. And it's a different experience being in England, where the British are not very friendly up front, but once they're friends, they're friends for life. Mm -hmm. In Winnipeg, everyone is very friendly when you see them, but no one is truly your friend. And that cultural shift was very hard for me to you know, adjust here because Shine has a very small family. I am used to having lots of friends and used to being out all the time and not being able to do that in Winnipeg was extremely hard. I actually quit Winnipeg and I decided I'm going to leave. A couple of times I did leave and go back to England saying this is not a place for me. But for some reason, I think people who live here and study here cannot leave this city like there is some affection with his family or you know the upbringing there was a zillion reasons why he wanted to stay in Winnipeg and so I finally gave up and the time I started enjoying Winnipeg is when I started my own architectural farm mm -hmm. and I started taking my I wouldn't say sadness but the loneliness at you know, being here in Winnipeg and taking that loneliness into work and making my clients my friends. And, you know, my very first client was, you know, an amazing human being who actually changed my life. And I think he actually passed away September 17th, last um, 2021. And he, Bob was the most amazing guy until he passed away from the day I met him till he passed away. I met him every two weeks. And he just changed my life. And he was this amazing person who believed in me and made me want to do more all the time. So it, now I think being here for so long and my kids being in school, I actually like Winnipeg. If someone wants me to move out of Winnipeg, it's going to be harder because it's one city you can have three kids going for three activities per day and still make it. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it, it, it is, it, it is, um, and we have a lot of friends now. And so, yeah, it is, um, I, I, I like Winnipeg now, so. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, we're, we're so happy to hear that. And, and like you said, raising your kids now, uh, 
how, like, obviously you've made this shift. Do they know about your uh, childhood? No, they don't. They don't understand anything about our childhood. <laughs> my, my father hasn't actually met my kids either, uh, just because I'm married to Cheyenne. And, but they don't know that. And mm -hmm. they don't know why, or I don't think they can ever comprehend a religious back um, differences or cultural differences. Though Shine and me are both East Indians, we don't speak the same language. So the only common language to our kids is English. He doesn't understand anything I speak. I don't understand anything he speaks. We're very culturally diverse. Our food is very different. Um, so it's interesting. My, my husband's Hindu. I'm Muslim. So nothing is common between us. However, we wanted to raise our kids as just good human beings. And the interesting part is we actually celebrate Christmas, which is the most strangest thing in our home. And our kids look forward to it. And they believe that's what they need to do. And they don't know. They, sometimes Shine and me think we should actually explain this to our kids. Other times we feel like, no, they just need to be kids and have, they don't need to know the stress of cultural differences you know, religious differences. And they just need to know that we're all here to be good human beings. And it's very interesting. They learn a lot in school and they question us, but they have never been back home. And the reason they've never been back home is we were never accepted. And to take them back, they want to, like they think India is all elephants and fruits and just colorful clothes like they live they the imagination is wild um but one day we will share our story with them um you know what i i do think is a, it is important but i love it though that your children are growing in a in a different world that hopefully uh there are no differences right like ev every culture is beautiful and accepting and i think that could be the next step too as well. But now let's go and talk about your business. Um, it has a different kind of, I think, philosophy, which I think obviously you're the founder and it's very important to you. So the buildings, um, what you design is all kind of reflective of community, I think, right, Hijab? I do, yeah. I I try to bring a different perspective to architecture. And I think my medical background helps a little bit with mm -hmm. that, where I do think that 90% of our time is spent in buildings. And I do believe that buildings shape who we are. Um, and, but most people take buildings as an object or a necessity to work in or live in or, you know, sleep in. But I think it's more than that. I think, I think the home that I was raised in is who I have ended up becoming. And it's important to give a good space for my kids to mold them into who they are. I also think that buildings can heal people. Hmm. And so everything we do in the world of architecture, we make sure that there's some sort of sensory simulation that will enhance how we feel. And if we pay, I think COVID has made that 
very relevant to a lot of people. You can mm -hmm. see how many people have done home renovations during COVID, which they never cared before about their home. When they were forced to stay at home, they realized the importance of their rooms, their study, their kitchen. And where, and I think the world is going to change and people will be more interested in the space they become a part of. Um, so the only thing we focused on since we started the business was how can buildings shape human beings? And if we tell the story right, and architecture is one thing that remains in history forever. I won't be here to tell the stories, but the buildings will be there to tell the stories. And if we can create those buildings that will tell the stories of people who live in it, work in it, and thrive in it, I think we will be creating an, an amazing group of human beings for the next generation. Wow. So. And how important is that now as we are actually, as we are hearing now, moving out, moving out of this pandemic, out of COVID, how now is it important to have a building that number one, you feel safe, but number two, um, it is inviting too, because we do need to eventually get out of our homes and live. Uh, I, I do, I, I do think, I, and I would actually, you know, suggest that every business owner or an office uh, should be paying attention to the spaces that they will bring their employees back into and how they feel day to day, because mental health has become such a big issue through the pandemic where people haven't felt safe. People have not had the ability to talk to people. The human connection was lost and allowing people to come back and, you know, being in isolation and suddenly coming into a group of people is not good either. That transition through the spaces is so important that I would actually challenge most business owners to make that change because I think that will benefit their business and people and will look after their employees much better, you yes. know? And it is important to pay attention to how we surround ourselves with people as well as the spaces we surround ourselves with and how we feel every day. Oh, that's so, so true. And so we hope to see maybe more of your buildings around even our own town here in Winnipeg. Hijab, um, before we, we close up though, I guess your thoughts and feelings, um, if you kind of reflect on where you were when we talked about when you were growing up as a young girl to where you are now, a mother, a wife, uh, a business owner, um, you know, friends and creating, um, you know, your own personality here in our city, life lessons that you've learned that maybe you can share with other women out there that are watching. I think it's important for every woman to have that voice to make change. Um, I am a huge advocate for women. I feel like not all people have had the opportunities that I've had. I've been very, very, very fortunate, I think, in a city like Winnipeg where I was given the opportunity to lead, given the opportunity to have my voice, given the opportunity to run a successful business and create those connections. But not all people have that. Although we see a lot of change in the industry, in equality, diversity, inclusivity, I don't think we are there yet. So educating ourselves and educating others, the importance of having 
women who care, women who have the passion and helping lift other women up as well to, you know, and standing stronger together, I think is very important. And I think my only dream to grow the business is to create impact on other people. And I love other women to know that they can do it too. If I can do it, they can do it. And I, I hope that that would be a good example for other women to say, you know, I always hear it's difficult for women to come up the ladder in business. And it's difficult because, you know, we took this mat leave and we didn't get, we lost nine months. I don't want us to think that way anymore. I want to say, no, what can we do to make it better? How do we support other people to get to that position? And I think it's important for women to be in leadership roles to make change. And um, I think if we stand together, I think there will be change soon. Oh, indeed. Well, it has been a pleasure, Hijab, speaking with you and sharing your story. And certainly it'll give hope to all of those that are out there dreaming their big dreams. And like you said, stand together and support and have a voice. So thank you very much, Hijab. Thank you, Tracy. Welcome back to Hewitt Home. We want to give a special thank you to all of our guests on today's show and leave you with this question. Have you ever gone against your family's wishes? We want to know, so send us an email to hello at ilikehugh.com or you can message us on Facebook and Instagram at ilikehugh. But for now, stay safe and healthy, and we'll see you next time on Hewitt Home. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network. Hi, this is Candace Sampson, the voice behind What She Said. My show is your destination for stories that not only entertain, but also educate and empower. Every week, I spotlight strong female voices from across Canada, women who are changing the narrative and driving change. Don't miss out on these inspiring episodes. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and Amazon Music, or head over to whatshesaidtalk.com. What She Said can also be heard on BlastTheRadio.com.
Mondays at 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. That's BlastTheRadio.com. It's time to dive into the stories that truly matter. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.